devoid of times like this. In fact, our grandparents, some of them, endured something very similar. Um, and we have some things um, that we can bring to bear that they didn't have, um, like being online. So those of you who are online and watching us, I just want to say welcome. Stay warm, stay well, stay distant, but spiritually close. Paul, a long time ago, told us some words of encouragement. He says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so even though when you go to Walmart, pick and save, the shelves are empty because folks have apparently lost their minds, uh, we are called into a Christ-like presence that we might be um, calming, for fearful people. With that being said, please pray with me, a sinner. Lord, we need to take some time to talk about this. We need to take some time to think about this. And we need to take a lot of time and be with you in the midst of this. For you are here with us we ask, Lord, that you would use the media that you have allowed us to have to be present with people spiritually that we can't be present with physically. We pray that you would move according to your will in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, we need to take some time to talk about this. Truth is, I don't know what's coming. I know something's coming. I know that it's going to bring some change that none of us are prepared for. Um, I know that it's going to bring some uncertainty that uh, we've only really begun to embrace and understand. And I think that's the truth. I think it doesn't really help anybody to try to candy coat things. I don't think it um, makes people feel better to tell little white lies about um, how hard these times are going to be. Jesus didn't set that example for us. And as his church, I don't think we're called um, to be Pollyannas in the midst of some really difficult things. So with that being said, I think it's true to say times like this make us wonder what we should do. I think we are all grasping around looking for leadership. I think we are turning on our news sources of choice looking for answers to the question of what we should do, what we should not do. I think we're asking as individuals, what should I do? And I hope we're asking, as a community of faith, what should we do? And I want to hearken us back today to the reality that Jesus already told us what we should do. He didn't candy coat things for his disciples. In the Gospel of John, as Jesus' end approached, 
He knew that not only was it going to be his end, but things were going to get really hard for his disciples. I mean, if we stop for a minute and think about it, his disciples had a vision of what following Jesus was going to mean. They didn't follow him because he was going to be a martyr. They followed him because they thought he was going to be their rocket to the top. They saw the crowds. They saw the people following him. They saw the attention he was getting. And they thought, you know, if I just hook my cart to this horse, wherever he's going, I'm going. And they were right and they were wrong. For them, the end of Jesus was the end of everything. For them, their dreams, their hopes, their hopes for a better life, their hopes for a present kingdom, their hopes, their understanding about those things, were going to come to an end on Good Friday. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus met with them in the upper room and he told them some truth. He told them in no uncertain terms that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be killed. And it's really interesting to me how the Gospels present people's reaction to this. You know, Peter's reaction was, you know, Jesus, just don't talk like that. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do this thing. And Jesus' answer was, get behind me, Satan. These things have to happen. Jesus didn't mince words about what was going to come even after his death. The destruction of Jerusalem, the scattering of his people. He said that there would be times of plague and times of famine, times of war and rumors of war. And he said, don't be upset by this. These are signs of the times. And these are our times now. His disciples must have had a mixture of feelings probably like we're having. A mixture of unbelief. Oh, it's not going to be that bad. How bad could it be? I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. Or fear. Maybe just a sense of disorientation. You know what it means to be disoriented? To lose your sense of true north. To lose your sense of the things that guide us. Our sense of community disrupted now. Our sense of gathering. I know for me, this is a part of my true north. My Sunday, my Sabbath, my time with not just with Jesus, but with you all, is going to shift. I don't know what it's going to look like. And that's disorienting. When we don't have those touch points, when we don't have those things that give us a sense of grounding, what does that mean for us? How do we know how to move forward? I think that that if we really look hard and we look deep at how Jesus presented these things to his disciples in the gospel, we may not yet know exactly what to do. 
but he gives us a vision for who to be, how to be that, and a metaphor for what to do. Now, there's a word that not everybody understands, metaphor. I'm not sure that my education completely prepares me for what that word means, but think about it like a, a blooming flower. It's something that has a sense of what it is before it's fully open, but it just continues to open. And it opens up in a deeper meaning and a deeper sense of what it has for us. And Jesus gives us a metaphor for how to move in this space, how to be his in this space. And I'm just going to be up front and say that we are in a season, and it is a season of uncertainty. So much of what we do is centered around gathering. Our food pantry yesterday, we had to figure out how in the world do we faithfully serve our community? And at the same time, how do we be faithful knowing that we might be carrying something that could take a life? Everything is going to shift. Jesus prepared us for this. Those of us who move in scripture have visited Jesus' words for us and instructions to us over and over again, and now is the time to begin to apply what he has taught us. And this is a season, and it's going to be a difficult season. For the sake of everyone, Everything is going to have to change. Everybody here, we're all going to be touched by this. Some of us might be touched severely. But as Jesus told them, he said, in this world there will be trouble. But he doesn't end it there. He says, have courage. For I have overcome the world. Doesn't say that things aren't going to happen. He tells us to reach out for courage. And then he gave them an example to follow. Not in easy times when the smoke of all this is cleared. He gives us an example to follow in all times. The world grabs for things. The world panics. The world says, if I don't get the toilet paper, there's not going to be enough toilet paper to go around. The world is pathologically self-centered. I don't care about you. I care about me. You see, crisis doesn't build character, folks. Crisis reveals character. We work on our character when things are good. We work on things like goodness and kindness and patience and peace in our hearts and an ability to keep our heads when everyone around us is losing theirs so that when everyone around us is losing theirs, we're ready. It's just the world, folks. It's the crab bucket. And when I say that, I'm going to have to use a southern metaphor. I grew up around salt water. 
And on hot summer days, we'd gather up all the chicken necks we could find, and tie them on a piece of string and drop them off the dock, and then sit around and do a whole lot of nothing, and start to pull those things up. And on the end of that chicken neck, it'd almost, be a, almost always be a blue crab, and we'd grab them out and throw them in the crab bucket. And when there's just a few in there, you got to put a lid on it because they'll climb out. But once you get enough in there that they're on top of each other, you really don't have to worry about the lid anymore because every time one of them starts to climb out, another one pulls it back in because they're all just clawing and snapping and trying to climb over each other and don't realize that that's pretty much the definition of hopelessness. We cannot be hopeless people. And even though that's the world, I want to remind us that the Gospel of John tells us that God loved this world, this crab bucket. God loved the people who were biting and snapping and grabbing the toilet paper and trying to be first enough to send them his son. And he sent them his son. That anyone who believes in him, anyone who follows his way, would know a life the crab bucket cannot hold. And as his father sent him, the Gospel of John reminds us that Jesus sends you and me. Let me read this passage from the Gospel of John. It takes place in the upper room not long before everything that they hoped for came to an end. In the 13th chapter, begins this way. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. During supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table. And he took off his outer robe and he tied a towel around himself. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. I'm going to stop for a minute because I want you to get a vision in your mind of what that looked like. The teacher had become the servant. The greatest had become the absolute least. The greatest among them, the Son of God himself, had taken the lowest of the low tasks and knelt down and served his people. And verse 5 again, And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing but later on, you will understand. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And after he'd washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table and said to him, said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. And so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Even in terrifying times, it's not about us anymore. Those of us who have entered the water of baptism, who have divided, who have devoted our lives, who have given our lives to Christ, understand these words. Not as a suggestion, but as a commandment. It's not about us anymore. The truth is, it never was. Even in terrifying times, we are to wash one another's feet and to allow others to wash ours. Now look, Jesus does not call us to be fools. He does not call us to lose our minds and do things that we know are risky and dangerous, not just for us, but for other people. It's one thing to be self-sacrificial. It's another thing to be self-sacrificial at somebody else's expense. And so these things that Dave talked about, these changes that we're going to have to make, they're going to change what it looks like to wash one another's feet. But it doesn't change Christ's commandment to us to do so. And so we have to use our God-given imaginations. What does it mean to be spiritually with one another when we can't be physically with one another? When I can't lay my hands on you and pray for you, what is Jesus Christ calling me to do so that you know without a doubt that I am praying for you. What is it going to look like in this season, in this difficult season, to tell the world that Christ came for them, that Christ came for people who do not even cry out his name or know it? Christ came for those in the bucket who are scared and grabbing up the toilet paper and not knowing what to buy next 
and wondering if anybody's going to live. That is who Christ came for. He came for those who are misdirected, for those who are disoriented. He came for you and me when we were disoriented and afraid and making bad choices. And now with his spirit upon you and in you, he is calling you to be a light to the world. A lighthouse, if you will. When no one knows true north, when no one can find that touch point, how do you communicate the reality that the spirit of Christ is with you? That Jesus is not just here with you, he came for you. How do you wash the feet of another person when you can't touch the feet of another person? I don't know the answer to that. I think the Holy Spirit is going to move with us as a community, as followers of Christ who aren't playing when we say, I am a dead man. And I am his. And I am all in. What does that mean? I don't know. But I know I mean it when I say it. And I know that there is life in it. And I know that if we can open up our holy imaginations to the spirit of Jesus Christ, he will teach us the way forward. He will show us what it means to serve the poor and the needy. He will show us what it means to be a neighbor to the people around us. He will show us once again what it looks like to wash one another's feet. For us who've given our lives to Christ, the question isn't a broad, what will we do? It's not a panicked, What do I have to buy? It's not even a plea to the government to fix this. It's this question. How do I live this example of Christ washing the feet of his students and commanding them to do the same? How do I live this example as an individual? And how do we as a community of faith live this example in the face of uncertainty and frankly, really scary things? He's told us what to do, what love looks like. It's up to us now to figure out what that looks like in the storm of this epidemic. Now, I don't want you all to bunch up. Remember what Dave was saying about arm's length? But I think we can talk to each other. I just want you to turn to somebody and share your takeaway. What is Jesus telling you today? Take a minute and do that. And is anybody willing to share a takeaway with us? If you're at home, um, hopefully you can talk to each other there too. Uh, But I am going to... See if I can't bring us back together. 
I know we love to talk, don't we? And we love to share. And we're just going to have to find some creative ways to continue to share with one another. Is anybody willing to share a takeaway? Andre. I think a lot of times uh, when you care for people. When you care for people? Yes. I'm going to be repeating it because folks at home won't hear it. Let me paraphrase that. Um, for folks at home, what Andre's bringing up is that idea of out of sight, out of mind. How do we do this when we can't visually see each other? How do we care for, how do we find creative ways to care for one another and keep one another in mind when we're not in contact with one another? Did I cover that? Yeah. yeah. Anybody else want to share one? I'm, I'll come back to you. You know, it's easy to remember God's with us when we're all with us, right? But then the pandemic comes along and we have to remember that God's still with us, right? Tim. Yeah, you know, calm is a superpower. It is a gift of the spirit. Um, when they list these fruits of the spirit, it talks about self-control. Well, I think we'd all lose our minds left to our own devices. But if we open our hearts to this commandment to love each other like this, then calm is a possibility and calm is infectious. Thank you, Mark. Um, I know that some of us had terrifying things going on in our life before this. And now there's this. But I want you to know you are not alone. That as you look around to your left and to your right, these are people who if you reach out, they will reach back. If you say, I need something, I need to talk to somebody, I need... Ah, to know I'm not alone. We're here for one another. Believe it. Believe in Jesus and believe in the Jesus in one another. In Jesus' name, amen.